Hi, I'm Will Thomas. And I'm Tim Jackson, Doctor of Economics at the University of Liverpool. And this is the Post-Crisis Economics Podcast. I think we're all starting to notice that there's a lot more ways that people can get involved in the stock market. There are things like free trade and Robinhood and all sorts of other platforms are available. Why do you think it's important that more people have access to finance now? I mean, yeah, definitely. We've seen that kind of like growth in active investing, kind of amateur investing. Um, they get they get called ruder, ruder names by the professionals. But yeah, they're certainly kind of you know, normal people kind of investing in the stock markets. And yeah, we have seen a growth in that recently. We can talk about kind of there is some kind of damage to that because I think people are kind of being taken advantage of it. But it's there is really there's one big advantage to having access to the stock market is it I mean, and this is kind of the greater advantage of the stock market in general is it, it gives you access to the, the massive engine of capitalism and all the value that's been created by all all these kind of entrepreneurs working working their hardest for um, to add and make all these companies and innovate and everything and all that innovation is happening and that's adding value and it's kind of making making money for making some people very rich and basically if you have access to the stock market you can you can you can be part of that you can like kind of you can own a bit of apple and then Apple makes these stonking profits and then you can get a, a proportion of that that's what a share is it's a share of the profits and so I think the greater participation can definitely be seen as a good thing because it's sharing those profits among more people it means more people can kind of have access to it so we're seeing all of this extra participation where is that money going right so what ultimately is going to the companies right that's what the the whole point of being listed on the stock market is you as a big corporation is saying i want some more money to invest in my business to build more factories to to do some kind of crazy new innovation um, i need to pay for that and so one way i could pay for that is by taking out a big bank loan and you know, have to pay interest on that but that's expensive i have to pay lots of interest a, a, another way i could do it would be to sell a bit of my company and i'll give you give a proportion to to this kind of whoever wants to buy it and i'll basically share some of the profits so it's a kind of it's a risk sharing thing basically i kind of will say well I've got all these profits. I'm kind of in, instead of kind of taking out a loan, I'm going to give some of those profits um, to someone else, and then you'll give me some money for, as, for the for the the right to have a share of these profits. So ultimately, it's it's the companies who are getting more money, and hopefully the the everyman as an investor will make something along the way as well. Well, sure. They, I mean, the what a share is is a, a percentage. You own a little bit of the company, so you will that company will be profitable, and then you'll get the dividends. You will get those kind of uh, dividends are just the, the payments, those those profit payments you get, and yeah, so you'll get all that. And if I mean, if you're lucky, the the share price will go up as well. So basically, the the share price is this kind of the idea of it. It's it's supposed to be the how what what do we think all of the future profits of a company is going to be like how much is the, the company going to be worth over time and so if the company does well it invests it invests smartly it kind of goes to the right trends it's going to become even more profitable in the future because it's you know picked the picked a good thing a good business to go into and so you get you get the literal profits but then also the price goes up because you think they're going to make even more profits in the future and so obviously if you, you know, at some point you want to sell your shares you you make a bit um, you make money from the, the difference in prices as well we can see how businesses can use the stock market to, to raise finance. And I imagine based on your description there, uh, a lot of people will think that sounds very similar to something like Kickstart or Indiegogo, or even companies like Monzo that are doing their own sort of private fundraising. How is that different? 
Well, I mean, it, fundamentally, it's the same. It's private equity versus public equity. So public equity is what I was just describing. It's kind of publicly traded. You know, anyone can come in and you buy this stuff on, on the stock market. Private equity, it's all done kind of behind closed doors. It's all done within a particular business. So not anyone can go and do this. So typically with private equity, you have to pay a fee or you have to pay kind of a certain amount. Yeah, I mean, what, what the people are doing on Dragon's Den is that's this is venture capital stuff. This is all private equity. They're saying kind of the, the dragons are saying, I will... Um, I will give you the money, I will in, invest in your company, but I want a big percentage of those profits. And so um, the dragons there are kind of saying, I will invest in this company, fine. Uh, for, for, and it's, it's normally quite a bad deal for the, uh, for the company, right? Because they have to give up a huge proportion of their, of their future profits or the ownership of the company in exchange for a relatively small amount of money. And so a big company like Apple would never go on Dragon's Den because the, the deals that these private equity, these dragons are offering are terrible. It's only for people, kind of companies that aren't big enough. They, they're not, they're not, haven't got, made it to the, uh, to the stock market yet. And so that's why they're going through these things. And so, yeah, for, like same with Kickstarter or kind of any of these kind of crowdfunding um, things. They're all small new companies because they kind of, by dint of the fact that if they could avoid, it's quite an expensive way of raising funds as a company is doing it through this crowdfunding because you have to give up a lot of your, um, a lot of ownership of your company in, in exchange for funds. So yeah, you, it's, it is exactly the same thing. It's just that it's a, it's a worse deal for the company because you're, you basically, the getting listed on the stock market means you've made it. It means you've kind of everyone you have you've you've um, there's a whole load of a whole set of kind of things you have to do to be able to be allowed on the stock market to be listed. And it's like once you've done all those things, you can then say, yeah, I've, I've got to this thing. I've managed to make it into the stock market and now I can now raise funds in a very cheap way by letting anybody buy these things. Whereas, yeah, if, if, you, if you haven't made it, won this race as, as a company, you then have to, the, the ways to raise funds that are open to you are smaller and usually more expensive. You usually have to pay higher interest rates or give up more of your of your ownership if you actually want to raise funds. Let's talk about what the stock market actually is. Clearly there's some sort of custodian or gatekeeper who says who's in and and who's out. And also there are there are stock markets all over the world. Who runs these trading houses? I think all of them are private companies, like mostly private companies. And yeah, they're, they're just a company and the company's job is to provide the architecture to allow the, the trading to happen. So I always like to think of this as like a physical thing. I mean, forget about the world of kind of computers and stuff. If you think about it back in the day when it was all physical, they were basically the guys providing a room. They, they provide, here's a nice room, we'll provide some, you know, drinks machines and refreshments or whatever and we'll allow these people to come in and trade stocks in this room it's quite a simple thing really it's really just a company that is providing the place where you can do this trading so ebay is a nice example that's almost exactly the same thing ebay is providing a place a market where you can buy and sell stuff so they're not actually doing the buying or selling ebay are just providing the architecture for it and that's the same as what the stock exchanges are doing so the london stock exchange is just a company that's providing the architecture for to allow these people to to trade in, inside it. So we've already talked about some of the people that benefit from the stock market, presumably the people that sort of allow that architecture in the first place. We've talked about people who are using these new apps to get involved in trading. Uh, obviously, the companies that are releasing shares are raising lots of finance. But when someone thinks about the stock market, you usually think of a sort of Wolf of Wall Street sort of character. Who are these people? How are they making such fantastic amounts of money? So, I mean, financial fraud has existed as long as there has been finance. There are many, many examples of people kind of fraudulently doing, trying to game the system, kind of taking advantage of people being kind of uh, being gullible and being greedy. Because the, the idea here is we're trying to say that 
we're opening up financial participation to everybody. Whereas before, let's say it was only the kind of the rich who could invest in uh, in other things. They had to have money already, or it's just a small club of people who are allowed to invest. We're allowing everyone to invest in this. Anyone can have a slice of Apple and kind of make lots of money from it. And so what you're going to get there is that you're going to there are going to be swindlers who are going to come along and say, hey, I've got an amazing deal. This is this thing. This land deal is going to be worth worth a fortune. Give me some money now, and I'll you'll triple your money. That this such kind of things scams have always existed, and so you can just get some straight up kind of straight up fraud, basically saying like, I will give me this money and I'll uh, I'll I'll do stuff with it, and um, and then just lie about it. I mean that's what a Ponzi scheme is. So you might have heard of um, so uh, Bernie Madoff was ran a huge a huge Ponzi scheme, and basically that the profits are just completely fictitious. They said he says I'm going to invest lots of money. What they normally do is they provide these kind of little kind of receipts that say, this is what I'm doing with the money. This is how much value I've earned. This is how much profits I've got. And so we'll have some kind of Excel spreadsheet somewhere where he says like, oh, you've given me a hundred pounds and it's now, you know, a thousand pounds. And it's completely fiction. It's completely fictitious. He's just making it up. But um, you, you receive these professional looking things that look like you've got loads of money. And what's what's clever about a Ponzi scheme is that if you try and withdraw your money, if things are going well, he'll be like, well, yeah, sure. I'll, um, here's your money. You can you can have it. Uh, and he'll, he'll take it. And the where that money's come from is just from new people putting their money in. So lots of people, you know, basically what will happen is you'll say like, oh, okay, I've invested £10 with you and then you, uh, I'll, I'll send you some fictitious receipt that say that that's now worth £100. You'll be like, oh, wow, I'll take my £100 out. So you'll take your £100 out and you'll be like, wow, I've made so much money. And then you'll go around to all your friends saying, hey, look, Tim's a magician. He can make all this money for you. So they put loads of funds in. And then I'd be like, well, they've just given me all this money, so I've got this. And so when you, if you want to take your money out, I'll be like, yeah, sure, I've got cash. I haven't done anything with it. I've literally, they've just given it to me because they on the promise of, of more stuff. And so it's this kind of like weird snowball where you kind of, you think that people are like, oh yeah, look how much money this guy's making. So they're happy to give funds to them. And this guy's just sitting there being like, well, I'm not really doing anything, but you know, <laughs> it's fine. I'm, just, I'm hoping that people aren't going to take the money out of it. Uh, and then basically, eventually, of course, it always, you know, it, the game is up and somebody um, starts to pull money out and they realise that actually this guy has not been doing anything the whole time. Um, and the whole thing kind of collapses in on itself. Yeah, those schemes are, are doable. You, you can run them. I mean, so that's just kind of one kind of fam- particularly famous type of scheme. I mean, there's, there's lots of others. So you asked about uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. So that's jo- uh, Jordan Belfort. So what he's, he did is what's called a pump and dump scheme, which is where he did it on, it's called penny stocks. They're stocks that aren't listed on the main exchange. They're kind of on a, a smaller exchange. They're not, they're not good enough to get into the kind of the big mega exchanges they were kind of smaller versions and so they're stocks that are really worth very little like kind of let's say pennies and so what if they're like in if a stock isn't traded very much if it's just you know uh, not worth very much what you can do is if you let's say get if you pay kind of a hundred unscrupulous telephone operators to ring up all their investor friends and buy stocks uh, and say like hey i've heard loads about this random little kind of stock that's worth kind of 2p it's, it's going to be the next big thing you basically you create a buzz you create a rumor about it you get everyone to buy it and because it's not worth very much it's not very difficult to get it to go up a bit more so like you to do this with apple it'd be very difficult because it's, it's worth so much already but to go go from one pence to two pence that's a you know 100 increase it's not actually that difficult you can just get a few trades to do this and so basically what you would do is you would phone up all these kind of investors, you create a buzz about it, the price would go up as people think about it's worth a lot more. And then what you've done is you would, as the fraudulent kind of guy, you've bought it when it was one pence, you watch it go up until it's about kind of two or three pence, you sell, you say you've made your, you've made your money on it. And then you just tell your telephone operators to, you know, move on to the next one. So then eventually if someone looks at the thing, be like, hey, what the hell, this, this, isn't, this isn't the next big thing I've kind of been lied to. And then it crashes back down again. And so all the people that bought into this hype would then lose their money. 
And so that's it's, it's a pump and dump. You pump the kind of scheme and then you dump it when you're at the when you're bored of it and then you let everyone else kind of take the loss. And so it's it's a really kind of it's a two bit scheme really. It's just straight up fraud. Wolf of Wall Street was kind of it's a bit weird. There's there's another film about uh, the same guy called Boiler Room, which is about the exact it's about the, the same story. It's Jordan Belfort and it tells it much more truthfully, which is and it's it's pretty sleazy. It's pretty seedy. It's all kind of backroom offices. It's not. It's not kind of the glamorous thing that it's portrayed in uh, in um, the Scorsese film, and I think the Boiler does a better job of showing the actual the damaging effects, the the fact that it, you know lots of people did lose a lot of money and kind of lost the kind of, kind of lost their life savings and things. So, I think yeah, Wolf of Wall Street almost kind of it glorified crime in a way that it probably shouldn't have done, but Scorsese does that. That is his uh, his genre, isn't it? But yeah, so I mean, that's obviously fraud is is a big problem. But that's what these the kind of there are organ- governmental organisations designed to stop that. That's what the these kind of the SEC in America and the uh, FCA in the UK is doing is to try and stop this kind of these schemes. And I, I wouldn't say that fraud is the biggest thing. Like I think there are, there are far more benefits than than cost um, to having the stock market. When we think of a stock market trading floor, you think of lots of people shouting buy 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 sell sell sell. Presumably, this is based on the performance of these businesses, but also the demand of these transactions creates pressure. How do you account for this sort of fluctuation in price? How does the stock market adjust for for market pressure? Sure. Now, this is actually the biggest advantage of the stock market. So... So far, I've been talking about kind of our, the, the kind of the financial stuff is that you know companies can raise money through this stuff, which which is fine. It's all completely true. That is that is a big thing. But there's another massive advantage of markets. It's called price discovery. We're discovering the price of things, and this is a really really cool invention when you think about it. What what the idea here is that rather than having kind of expert investors decide like this this company this is the company that's good we should all invest in this company rather than having like kind of so i mean if you think the the exact opposite i mean what i just described of having a kind of a council of elders deciding where the money should go where well the kind of which company should get financed and which company shouldn't that kind of council of elders is kind of what like god's plan was under in the ussr so it was kind of the the organization of, of planning and for all these centrally planned economies they had councils of experts deciding which company should get money and which companies shouldn't so specifically it'd be with all state owned to be which kind of areas would get funding and which ones wouldn't and so it's a very top-down organizational structure it is these council of elders deciding this these are things that should get money and so we talked right back in the kind of early episodes about how there is this this kind of structure of socialism of kind of deciding where where, where products um, which products should kind of kind of go well and which products shouldn't now, markets are the exact opposite. It's very bottom up. It's basically saying that the companies that get money are the ones where, which people want to give money to. So if I, I think, hey, Apple's doing a great job, I want to buy a share in Apple, I'll go to the stock market and buy a share in Apple. So me, I'm contributing my demand for the shares of Apple. I'm happy to kind of give money to them. And if you kind of think about all the organization of all the crowds of people who are kind of participating in the stock market, what they're doing is they're lending their voice and their vote as to which companies should be getting money and which companies shouldn't. And that kind of that demand that is contributing to the price. And basically the price then kind of comes out as a signal. So the, the ones with high prices are the ones that are in demand. They're the ones that the, the people the wisdom of the crowd think are doing really, really well. And they're the, that's that's a signal that, hey, this one's doing well. This, these are the kind of places we should put money. And the ones that aren't doing so well, that's, it's, again, it's because the wisdom of the crowd has kind of read the news. They've read all the kind of, they've gone over all the different, different things and they've worked out that they, they don't want to invest in those things. And so 
However they do it, so some, there'll be some people who are kind of going, pouring through the accounts and working out that this, is, this, this company is doing really well for things. That's called value investing. You're checking on which one it is. Some people are just buying on pure momentum. They'd be like, oh, look at this. It's kind of, it's, it's been going up, so I'm going to kind of buy into it. That's called technical investing. And then there's a whole people, some people might just buy it completely randomly. They'd be like, oh, I just like the name of this thing. So yeah, I, I just like this stock, so I'm just going to buy it. It could, be, it could be anything. It doesn't really matter how they've come at it. What the point is, is that if you have enough people doing enough different things, so the variation is the important here. You've got lots and lots of different people coming at the problem in different ways, working out which, which products are valuable and which ones aren't in completely different ways. The idea is that the average of all of those, when they've all come together, the average should be correct. That's the kind of principle here of the wisdom of the crowd is that you've got a lot of variation, lots of different people working out in different ways, and they're all contributing their opinions by buying and selling. And hopefully overall, we work out which one's the correct, what the correct answer is. And that's the, the kind of the principle of wisdom of the crowd and the principle of markets. But of course, that doesn't always pan out. For example, GameStop. Can you talk a little about that? One thing I'd like to talk about, I'd like to bring as an example here, and then I can show you how GameStop would relate to that, is that if you think about Wikipedia, Wikipedia is exactly the same principle as the stock market. It's saying that we're not going to have experts writing. It's not like Encyclopedia Britannica where there's an expert writing each kind of entry. We're going to say anyone can do it, anyone can enter, anyone can edit it. And kind of at first it might be a bit ropey, it might be all over the place, but after a while with lots and lots of people contributing, then you, we actually get the truth. So Wikipedia becomes like kind of a trusted resource because everybody is adding to it. Anyone can change it. If there's anything wrong, people will change it. So it's that same principle. It was actually, so uh, Jimmy Wales, the guy who created it, one of the founders, he was actually inspired by one of an, an economist called uh, Friedrich Hayek, who was writing about the stock market. So yeah, so Jimmy Wales is reading an essay by Hayek and Hayek's writing about why the stock market's so good because of decentralized organization, having this bottom-up organizational structure. And he thinks, hey, that's, that work, if that works for the stock market, why can't it work for the encyclopedia? And so and that's why he creates Wikipedia. And so this principle, is, it, it, it can work really well. It can create an authority. And so GameStop is an example of, it's, it's really called collusive practice. Basically, a load of people getting together to try and kind of mess with the value of, uh, with the price of a stock. So just as Jordan Belfort did exactly the same thing. He got all of his, his kind of his friends and his buddies to phone up and create a buzz about one particular um, stock and make it rise in value. That's exactly what GameStop is. It's the same principle. We're just saying we're going to all going to agree together that we're going to create some buzz about this thing. The difference with GameStop is that they genuinely believe it. So they, they, it's not just kind of a, a completely um, bald-faced lie. They do genuinely believe that this stock is, is worth more than it is. Um, and they're actually kind of they're buying it themselves rather than kind of you know convincing other people to buy it for them. But still, the, the principle is the same: is that you are, as a group of people, you are just, um, coordinating together to try and raise the price of something. And yeah, that that could go wrong. Like obviously, you know, if if you know if maybe they're right, and maybe they've kind of they've they've done the maths and they've worked out that GameStop actually is a profitable organization. They've kind of gone through the accounts and worked out that actually is, and they've revealed, revealed something that um, isn't true. More likely, what they've done is they've created a little bubble. They've created a kind of thing where the, the price goes up higher than it's kind of fundamental or higher than it kind of the price it should be. And it'll go up for a bit, and after a while, it'll come down again. People Basically, people will get bored. They'll stop buying this, they'll, they'll kind of drift off eventually, and you'll see the price come, come right back down again. So that's the kind of the long, my long-term prediction for the GameStop thing. If, if we come back to this in a year or so, I think you'll see that the, it'll have gone up, and then maybe, maybe a couple of times gone up and down, but eventually it'll settle down to 
to something much more normal. So I guess my, my equivalent with Wikipedia would be, I don't know if you ever did this as, as a school kid, but you can kind of, because anyone can do it. I do remember like kind of there was groups of friends at school who would go into the school's Wikipedia page and mess with it. They would just kind of change things to be stupid. Um, and that's the principle, right? You basically kind of, you know, as a joke, you can mess with people's Wikipedia pages. And that's, the, that's basically what GameStop is doing here. They're messing with the kind of, the, what everyone else thinks. There's a small group of people deciding that they're going to try and kind of change things. And like, it can work for a while, but after a, unless, unless you kind of keep it up, unless you keep changing the Wikipedia page every day, after a while it's going to kind of go, come back to normal again as people start to kind of go against it. So it's an interesting phenomenon. And I mean, it, it could, we could turn out that it's all completely, they're all completely correct and they knew something that the rest of the world didn't. Um, I suspect it's probably not. I suspect it's probably just a kind of a little, a little bubble that's kind of capping in, and yeah, it'll, it'll come down again eventually. So a lot of people did really well out of that little phenomenon, but also a lot of people got stung quite badly. What other things should we be skeptical about the stock market? So, well, bub- I mean, it's nice segue into bubbles because bubble again, a bubble is something as the same as the. Um, it's as old as markets have been. There's been kind of huge. I mean, the, the tulip bubble of, of uh, in in Holland in sixteen something was a yeah this huge price in the the, the, the value of a, a bulb of a tulip became more than the value of a house because people got so excited about it they thought they kind of be worth all this this huge kind of commodity. And what what bubbles are? It's called um, the the phrase that gets that's thrown around is called irrational exuberance. It's people becoming like they're getting carried away and they're getting so kind of thinking ah oh, this is the new thing. And they, they tend to they, it tends to get thrown with phrases of being like kind of a paradigm shift or a new technology. This is a new this these are the kind of words that tend to get used around for this. And basically it's I said before that the what's really important with a market is the a variation of opinion. You need to have a complete variation of people. You need to have lots of people thinking lots and lots of different things and all contributing their own different opinions. When markets go wrong is when all the people start acting the same way. You start to get a kind of a herd mentality. So what we need is like lots of people contributing different things. Some people thinking it's going to go up. Some people think it's going to go down. You know, the bears think it's going to go down. Bulls think it's going to go up. You, you need that variety. You need that, that kind of uh, that change. What, what, what really, when markets go wrong is when that, that kind of mishmash of kind of exchange of ideas just turns into a single kind of um, monologue. Everybody starts thinking exactly the same thing. Everyone agrees. Yes, this is the way forward. This is the thing. And so basically, if you get enough, if you get one enough group of people who kind of stop listening to reason, stop listening to the facts and just get kind of convinced that this is the right way forwards, you can definitely get bubbles and things. I mean, obviously, it's very, very difficult to tell. I mean, this is one of the big fundamental problems why we still have bubbles, why this is an an age old problem that we haven't really been able to fix is that it's very, very hard to tell the difference between a bubble and a really true kind of technological change. So, I mean, when computers were first invented, you might well think there was a lot of hype about them and you might well think, oh, well, this is a bubble. This is, you know, this is silly. And obviously some of it was a bubble, but then some of it was real. You know, some of the, some of the, the hype was justified. So it's, it's very, very difficult to tell the difference kind of beforehand. So that's why bubbles are, are so difficult. Bubbles are kind of, they're kind of a natural part of this is that people are optimistic. People do get carried away. It's kind of, these, these are kind of, this is just a, a trait of the fact that we don't know the future and there's no way of knowing what's going to happen in the future and so you know when a new kind of thing new technology comes along some people are going to get overexcited about it and they'll probably invest and it'll go too high and they will get stung and that's that's that but there'll be other people who you know who are a bit more kind of skeptical about it and they'll kind of temper it down again i think it's just i think that in in order to kind of we can't predict the future and that's the fundamental problem is we've no idea what's going to happen in the future and so and you need to be a bit optimistic to try these things and yeah it's sometimes we we go take it too far sometimes you know that's that's just how it is like sometimes that those those things are going to happen 
Post-Crisis Economics is presented by Will Thomas and Tim Jackson, Doctor of Economics at the University of Liverpool. Continue the conversation on Twitter at Post-Crisis Pod. Thanks for listening. Bye.